0: Thanks, Fred. Good morning, everybody. Man, already more energy than last Sunday. Time changed. That was tough on all of us, so thanks for being here. Uh, yeah, we're going to be in Psalm 131 today, uh, and as we get ready to jump in, I, I want to kind of make an announcement. So I, I noticed like last week, when I get up here, I look out, and I want to like spend the first five minutes just saying hey to people I haven't seen in a week or two, you know, but I can't. Because that would just be weird for everybody else, and some people are introverts and would like die, you know? So I won't do that, but, uh, but I wanna, it, got, it got us thinking, and so we, and, and I was talking to Fred this week and the, the other staff, and we wanted to make sure everybody knew about uh, coming up this summer, because now that we're like, oh my gosh, we actually, like, summer's coming, and we can, like, do stuff, you know? Like, make a plan, maybe. I um, uh, wanna let you know this Wednesday, this uh, summer, we're gonna start doing something different on Wednesday nights throughout the summer. So as you know, if you've been in a growth group or you're in a growth group, those typically end around Easter time. And so the beginning of May, we're going to pick up doing some stuff on Wednesday nights uh, through like the first or second week of August. Okay, so, so those will look a, a little different, um, and, and I just want to kind of explain it to you so as you're thinking through summertime and, and things like that, um, y- you can prepare for it. Um, each uh, month, uh, each week of the month, each Wednesday night of the month, we'll have something different going on. Okay. So, so each month, the first Wednesday night of the month is going to be a potluck. Come on church. All right. Yeah. The best response I have ever gotten up here. So good. So we'll, uh, so, uh, it'll be in the fellowship hall. So that'll be fun. Um, and and so if you if you're interested in that coming up soon, I think around Easter time, we'll have registration links. And so if you if you are interested in coming to the potluck, register just so we know like how many chairs to set up. And we have some people that are covering like the main dish and then everybody else is just responsible for sides and desserts. Okay. So I have registrations coming up. Don't let the registration deter you if it's like a la- it's summertime, so we get it if it's like a last minute thing. That's okay. The first Wednesday night. If, you, if you're either going to sign up and not show up or you're not going to sign up and then show up, the first Wednesday night of the month to do that. So it's going to be a potluck uh, each uh, first Wednesday of the month uh, for May, June, July, and August. The second Wednesday night of the month, each month, we're going to offer different courses. Okay, so those are just going to be opportunities to come to learn a little bit, to discuss. Uh, um, we're going to have three different course options. Uh, one of those is on uh, serving with clarity, so learning about your spiritual gifts, how you're wired, what we do as a church, how you can get plugged in, or what we don't do as a church and how we can get something rolling. Uh, that That's one. Another one will be like an introduction to the spiritual disciplines or spiritual formation. And then the third one is going to be, it's called uh, faith and fake news. And it's just all about how to determine what's clickbait, what's conspiracy, what's real, what's not, because in a world of uh, no gatekeepers anymore, right? Like you get on the internet and it's up to you to figure out what's real and what's not. Um, we're, we're gonna be going through that. It's, a, it's gonna be a super helpful, interesting course. I'm, I'm excited about those. Okay, are you? In, so this is second Wednesday night, okay? The third Wednesday night of each month is a book club, okay? So it's neat because if you're not a fast reader, you got three months to go through a book that's an easy read. Uh, the book is the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. If you've never heard of that, uh, it's, it's an incredible book, super, super beneficial book. Um, one of, like, it was one of my top reads for, for 2021. Um, and then the fourth Wednesday night of each month is going to be like a family discipleship piece. Okay, so it's, it's the idea like if you have kids ranging any age, you can show up. There's going to be food. You sit at a table and talk about what are like some practical things you can do to have conversations about Jesus during different parts of the day. Okay, so it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, kind of coming off the excitement of the game night, we realize like, oh man, like, like families really do want to have fun and talk about Jesus. So that's great, you know, which I, I know you all do. So, so those are the four things each week of the month going on. Does that make sense, how we're doing that, splitting it up and, and everything? Okay, so there's going to be more information and some registration links. I don't think those are live yet, but, but Easter's only in a few weeks. So it's coming up soon, uh, so get ready for that. And the fun thing is that the first potluck is on May the 4th. Which is International Star Wars Day. So, we're trying to, so feel free to go ahead and start brainstorming or Pinteresting some ideas of like Star Wars themed meals. Yeah? Star Wars nerds? Anybody? No? You don't have to shake your head if not. Just uh, if you are one, raise your hand, okay? All right, good, good. All right, I won't share my idea for one. I had an idea for a dish. It's really cheesy, but not the dish, the name of the dish. Okay. What was it, Psalm one thirty one? Okay, hey, let me uh, let, let me let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into Psalm one thirty one today. Uh, let me pray, Father God. We ask you uh, to meet us here today, Lord. We are your church, uh, we are your people, and as we open your word to hear from you, the Holy Spirit, we ask that uh, that you work in our lives and do what only you can do, uh, which is help us to become more like like Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 131. Let me me read it for us, and then we'll jump in here. A psalm of ascent, a psalm of David. My eyes are not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. So the psalm we're looking at today, it's a psalm of David. Um, and, I, and I think it's interesting because if you know about David, like, like Fred said earlier and kind of the, the, fam- the interactive uh, uh, worship piece, is that David was the king of Israel. And, and during his time of leadership, Israel really became uh, like a world power during that time. And so I think it's interesting that we get his first few words like, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. Because if you think of his life trajectory, right? Like he went from the son who was in the field taking care of the sheep that was forgotten about to the king, yeah? Like to think of a guy like, like your, your uh, sermon, your translation may say something like, my heart is not lifted up, or my eyes are not lifted too high, or something like that, very directional. Uh, so, the, but but it's interesting because like, how do you get any higher than the throne, right? Like, so I thought it was, so. It's kind of interesting that David starts out at this and like like this, and I can't help but think that this is an older David that's uh, looking back on his life, reflecting on some events that have taken place. Um, David uh, was a guy. The Lord said when he chose David to be the next king of Israel that he was a man after his, after God's own heart. That's how he was described. He was the one who, who uh, God was teaching the prophet Samuel and the rest of Israel not to look at anyone's outward appearance, but their inward, their their, their inside, their heart, how their heart was. And so he was, and he was the one chosen. There was, there's some people that are way smarter than me that look at this psalm and think that David was reflecting back on two uh, instances in his life where he was able to actually take these words and put them into practice. Okay, so, so just a quick little overview of how David uh, became the king, and I'm gonna, and then we're going to kind of think about these instances as we go through the psalm together, okay? So, so uh, the first king of Israel, the first king ever, uh, was a guy named Saul, and Saul was the guy that Israel wanted and that God chose uh, to give them what they wanted so that they could be like everyone else around them. He was the guy, he looked the part. Uh, He was tall. He was a good-looking dude. He was like great in like military battles and stuff like that. But he was a terrible king, and he wasn't like a good guy. Okay, so God, because of Saul not being obedient and faithful to what God wanted him to do as the king, uh, God took the throne away from him, and He said He was going to give it to someone who He could, who God would have the uh, someone in His lineage be on the throne forever, which we know ultimately was Jesus. But it was a guy named David. So David is chosen as king, but, but there's a really like weird period of David's life where he was chosen by the prophet Samuel, by God. Uh, he was anointed as the future king, but Saul was still the king. Okay, So you have this young guy who, who was anointed as the future king, and then you have Saul, an older like wicked dude who is still the king on the throne. And so eventually, you can like if you've read the story, David keeps like having military like victories, and he keeps doing all this great stuff. And there were people even like sing. There was like a song made that was like Saul with his thousands and David with his tens of thousands. And so Saul gets super jealous, and he starts doing you know what you do when you get jealous. You just try to kill somebody. That's what he, that's what Saul started doing to David. He just started trying to kill him. Like like there's this time where David's just playing the harp and. Saul gets a spear and tries to pin him against the wall. You know, and, and I mean, cra- this is crazy stuff. And so, uh, David, it, it gets so bad that David just flees. Like, he flees the, the city that he was supposed to be the king in, and he's like wandering around the, out in the wilderness. And, and anytime Saul would, would hear about David uh, uh, being somewhere, he would, he would like gather, it was his number, he would gather 3,000 soldiers. And track down David and try to kill him. So that happens two times. We get the stories in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and 1 Samuel chapter 26. And so I want to kind of keep this in mind that, that both times uh, Saul kind of has David trapped. But, but then there's this like, it's su- such a fun story. David gets by them and like has the chance to kill Saul and take what was like ju- very justifiably his. Yeah, like like he could have killed Saul and taken the throne, the thing that was already promised to him, and he had been anointed to. But David, he had to practice trusting God. So let's look, at, let's look at verse 1 and kind of walk through it. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. See, this psalm, what we're looking at today, and what we see David doing is that David is reflecting on what it means to take a posture of humility. Taking a posture of humility. Those those, those turns of phrase there, uh, you know, my, my, like I said, it might say like my heart is not lifted up or my eyes are not raised too high. That's an idea of, of literally being above someone so that you can look down on them. Okay, so, so that's the word picture there. It's like literally it's an idea of pride. Like David's saying like, Like, God, I had the chance, but I chose not to think that I was better than someone else. And that's a posture of humility. David refused to let himself believe that he was better than anyone else. That's what he was doing. See, in the first story of of, uh, sparing Saul's life, David and his men, they were hiding in a cave. So they're like back in this deep cave. Uh, David had like a few guys that he had gathered as he was running away from Saul. They were all kind of vagabonds and exiles. And, and uh, so they start following him there in the back of the cave. Um, and they thought for sure, like, this is the end. <laughs> you know, like, like, but instead it says that Saul went into the cave by himself. And the Bible says he went in to relieve himself. And so not to make a joke, but literally Saul could not have been more vulnerable or exposed to attack than at that moment. And David, what it says it does is that David walks up and he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe, which is super symbolic. I mean, back then, like, we don't think much about robes, but back then the robe was only the king wore a robe like that. And so for David to cut off a corner was very symbolic of him taking the kingship away from Saul. In, in the second story, uh, we see that, that uh, Saul and his 3,000 men are tracking David once again and David sneaks up at night and even tells guys that are with him, like guys are like, hey, I'll go do it for you so you don't have blood on your hands. And David says, no, 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 like, like he, he didn't want to take any chances. So he sneaks up on Saul, and instead of killing him, he takes his water jug and he takes his spear that time. And he sneaks away, and both times he calls out to Saul and he talks to him. And he's like, hey, Saul, like, like tell me what I've done wrong. Here's what I have. But what's interesting is that David repents. He refuses to believe that even though Saul was like trying to kill him, like, Saul was wrongfully treating him. Uh, he, he, he was refusing to give to David what was rightfully his by God. Um, David, with the robe, represented the kingship, and then the water jug and the spear, representing wealth and military might. Like a jug of water by your head while you're asleep. Like, you know it's hard to come by in the desert? Water, you know? So like it's the it's the representation of wealth and then the the spear of the king the king would stay back in battle and he would hold the spear like different ways and then the army would would obey whatever his spear was telling him to do. So it's the idea so David symbolically took those things but both times he repented and asked Saul to forgive him. I mean, that's crazy. I mean but but really when you read the psalm that makes sense. If David's reflecting back on these things he's saying that Saul, I could have killed you, but I refuse to let myself believe I'm better than you, no matter the circumstance. And I'm sorry. He chose repentance and reconciliation instead of retribution. I man, how easily it would have been justified. I mean, like I said, there were guys that were telling David both times, like, "Hey, David, this is the, your chance. Like God has given him into your hands. All you got to do is kill him. Like just, 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 no problem, right?" Like, like, like get, be done with this fear and anxiety and worry, just kill Saul, take matters into your own hands, but David refused to do it. He chose a posture of humility. So what do we learn about humility from David? There's two, there's two kind of takeaways, I think, that we learn from the story and from this psalm. And the first one is that we position ourselves in a posture of humility when we accept who God made us to be. When we accept the way we're wired, when we accept our. Last week, if you were here, you watched online, we talked about limits. Like all of us have limits. We can only do so much. We're not made to be all things to all people all the time. David knew that God had a plan for him too, and it was to be the king of Israel one day, but not while Saul was still alive. David, even as he repented, when he cut the corner of Saul's robe, he said, Who am I to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed? Like, man, who, like, what a great question. I mean, anybody could have said David, like, and his soldiers with him said, like, you're the guy. Like, what do you mean, who are you to lift your hand? You are the guy that God has chosen to be the next king. But he wasn't the king. I mean, he wasn't the king. I love even when, like, Saul was scheming of a way to, to kill David, and he offered his uh, oldest daughter to be David's wife. And I love, he said, hey, you can marry, you can marry my daughter. And I love David's response. He's like, who am I to marry his daughter? I'm a poor man and I'm barely known, which is, just sounds like if you grew up in the South, just like a killer, that's a great old man South saying. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a poor man and barely known. Like I could just hear it on the front porch with some sweet tea. You know, like, it's just so good. But I love that response. He's just honest about who he is. He's embraced his limits, and he didn't let his position define who he was. He could have easily have said, no, this is my right. But instead, he, he chose humility. He chose to understand who God made him to be in that moment. And and we've all seen this play out in different ways in our lives. Um, think back, if you can, to when you were a kid. Like in kindergarten, if you did that exercise of what you wanted to be when you grew up. You guys remember what you wanted to be? Can you guys, some of us, can we remember that far back? Remember those dreams when you were a little kid? Yeah, so uh, who who went like like, yell out some of the things you wanted to be, like kindergarten, you're writing on the piece of paper, you're cutting the things out. What, who, what'd you want to be? Astronaut? Yeah, that's a good, yeah. Come on. We had one dreamer in here. What else? Firefighter, anybody throw that around? Yeah, police, you know, teacher, doctor, nurse, things like that. I wanted to be a mailbox when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, my mom's right there on the front row. You don't work major holidays, you get to spend a lot of time outside, um, but that didn't work out. I went from a, from a mailbox uh, to an NBA player, so pretty similar career, right? Um, but both, you know, like we have those dreams as kids and those are great, Like, but like the older you get, you kind of realize like this is not going to work out. You know, like the odds of me being in the NBA, come, I mean, you know like, none. There's no chance ever. I didn't even like basketball by the time I was, like, 12. You know, like, we all kind of have those dreams, and then at some point, you know, you want to, you kind of have those, and and all through life, like, what we want to be is kind of narrowed down by the way God made us, and we can, we, and when we accept that as a gift, like David, he accepted it as as a gift. He chose to posture himself with humility, and and he understood who God made him to be, and he was okay with that right he lived in that and he thrived in that cuz you read the psalms like psalm 86 uh, that we had for the little man earlier like that's a like, like that's a man who understood who god made him to be and he could live in that he could live in that i knew like the more i grew up i wanted to i had all those kind of dreams and i knew that ultimately like god made me for full time vocational ministry um, and I'd guess that most of us ended up where we are because of those. When we embrace those and we realize we're humans, that we're not better than anyone else, that it's the way God made us to be, we don't look down on others, we can posture ourselves in humility. And there's another lesson that we learned from David in, in posturing ourselves in humility. Uh, humility is when we refuse to live our lives at the expense of another, okay? Humility is when we refuse to live our lives at the expense of another. So for David, that was like very, very like practical for him, right? I mean, he literally was standing. I mean, like just get the word picture here in the story. Saul is asleep. The two times a human is most vulnerable in their lives, David had the chance. He's standing over Saul with the opportunity to kill him. Right, this is the same dude who stood over Goliath and cut his head off with his own sword. David's literally standing over Saul with the opportunity to go on and move, move forward with his life at the expense of another's. He had that decision to make in that moment. Uh, we probably, and hopefully, none of us will ever be faced uh, with having to choose between killing someone and going to work right or or moving forward in our career uh but we will and we do every day have to choose the way we use our power over others all right and before you think like I'm like I'm not a powerful person um uh, everyone power dynamics work in all kinds of interesting ways like the 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 two humans that have been the most powerful in my life over the last 4 years have been my two daughters cuz they have determined when I sleep, right? They have determined when I eat. No one has been able to control my mood or temperament more than my little precious angel babies, right? I mean, it's but they're not powerful per se, but they use their power dynamics with other people. So it's not just top down. From the, from the clothes we buy, to the food we eat, to the children we raise, to the people who employ us, to the people that we employ, we have opportunities to live our lives at the expense of another person's personhood, or not. Uh, Diane Langberg, she's a PhD psychologist. Uh, she's a Christian uh, psychologist. She's fantastic. She specializes in trauma recovery. Uh, she gives in her book "Redeeming Power." It's an incredible book. Uh, she gives uh, three aspects of a person of a, of someone's personhood. Uh, based on the way we're created in Genesis chapter 1. All right, so there's, three, there's uh, three things that make, give a human personhood. The first one is that a human was made to have a voice. Just like God spoke and things were created and God made us to rule the earth in his image, uh, every human was made to have a voice. The second thing is that every human is made to be in a trusting relationship with other humans and with God. And the third thing is that humans were made to have power and and shape the world around them. And we have an opportunity every day to either cultivate those things in other people or to take them away at their expense for our own good. Like we, when we purposefully take away someone's ability to choose or create or speak for themselves, we are living at their expense. When we purposefully take away someone's ability to be in a trusting relationship with God or other people for our own gain, we've taken away their ability to flourish. When we exert our will over someone so that they're unable to use their creative energies to create and help others, and they feel useless or worthless. We have taken away their God-given personhood to rule the earth and subdue it in his name. Now, if you hear that and you think, Matt, that sounds a lot like we're talking about abuse, it's because we are. That, that's what abuse is. Abuse is taking away someone's God-given purpose personhood so that we can gain from it while they're hurt from it and those things are taken away from them see david refused to posture himself in that way to posture himself with humility he literally refused to live his life and advance himself based on the at the expense of someone else's life but we have to do it every day like when i discipline my kids and disciple my kids i have to do that the way I talk to my wife at the end of the day when I'm when I'm tired and frustrated and hungry, right? The way that the way that I talk to the people or the way that I drive in the parking lot at Aldi, right? Like, like we all have those opportunities to better our life at the expense of someone others all the time. But when we posture ourselves in humility, we refuse to do that. And we see verse two it's this beautiful simile of how a posture of humility plays itself out. It says David says that my soul is like a weaned child with its mother. And I love this image because a weaned child has learned not to freak out whenever they sit in their high chair and there's no food on the table yet. Yeah. Like a child who's not weaned like gets in mom's lap and like panics, right? Cuz it hasn't learned that like it's like you're going to get fed, you're going to get nurtured right? You're going to be protected. They haven't done that yet. Abigail, our one and a half year old, uh, she's been doing this like super cute thing. Um, I know I, I talk about my kids a lot, but sorry. Um, like I love that like one of her favorite things, anytime we sit down on the couch, she walks over, we have like a basket of blankets um, at the end of our couch and she walks over and she tries to grab one and she says blankie, but it says mech me. So she's grabbing a, a blankie and she just wants to come just chill on the couch. But it's interesting because when she comes and sits on my lap, it's like playtime, you know. It's like, let's wrestle, let's like fight. She's been into this thing where she wants to lick my nose all the time, which I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure why, but whatever. Like in like, a, in like two years, that'll be weird. Like right now, it's fine. So a year and a half, it's like, okay, like let's enjoy it. So, but it's fun, but like she goes and sits on Anna's lap on the couch, and she just like doesn't move. She just lays back and just chills. And like I don't know all the psychology behind that and stuff like that, but but it's just interesting when I when I read this word picture, I thought about that, that simile of just being able, like, like that's what it is. See, uh, the, the word picture David gets is that he's trusted God, he's postured himself in humility, knowing that God's gonna provide and give him what he's promised. A heart that trusts God is a heart that can choose humility and rest in God's faithfulness. And so let me just ask you, like, like, what are you freaking out about? Like, what's that thing that's giving you knots in your stomach? Or like, what, what's the thing that you lay down at night and you can't sleep or you wake up at 2 a.m. and you can't go back to sleep because that thing's just just draining your, your mental energy? Just can't shake it. Because here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to ask us, I'm not going to ask you to rate your anxiety level Or like what that thing is, how much control that thing has over you. What I'm going to ask us to do is, that that thing that came to mind that that you can't, that maybe even right now is making your heart race a little bit, and you're checking your Fitbit and your heart rate's spiking. What I'm going to ask you to do, instead of rating that on a scale from 1 to 10, I'm going to ask you to rate on a scale from 1 to 10, how much are you projecting that on other people? Because that's what a child that's not weaned is doing. It's projecting It's anxiety on its mother. Because here's what some of us have probably done. Either you've verbally or mentally, whether you've recognized it or not, you've consented to the the idea that, like, if I don't use the tension in my shoulders and, like, the tightness in my chest to get other people to do stuff, it's not going to get done. Like, you've come to a point, maybe, where you feel like you have to use that anxiety in order to just check the boxes and get through the day. Like, the weaned child has learned that the nourishment, the protection, the nurturing is coming, and they don't have to freak out anymore. And some of us are, are, are there, but some of us feel like I don't get my deadline by taking it easy. Yeah, like the house, my kids aren't going to clean the house if I'm calm, and so what we've done is we've chosen to allow that anxiety to be projected on other people. And I just want to see if I can offer you a better way. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his message translation, puts the words of Jesus of Matthew 11 like this. So you may know that Matthew like, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Listen to the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. These are the words of Jesus. He says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. This is a this is one of my favorite lines. Learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, when we when we try to use that anxiety and we and we actually nurture it a little bit to try to get things done or get other people to do what we want them to do we're doing the opposite of living freely and lightly because we're not living the life of Jesus at that point we must learn the rhythms of Jesus and his unforced grace uh, living freely and lightly just doesn't like happen on accident yeah And it it does, uh, living freely and lightly doesn't live at the expense of others. And it means that you become a non-anxious presence to the people around you. Uh, This is a life, a life that's learned the unforced rhythms of grace of Jesus. It's a life that's that's active, but it's not reactive. It doesn't have your emotional state controlled by the news or social media. Uh, When we posture ourselves in humility... We're able to do that because we know that uh, God is faithful and that he'll give us all that we need. Uh, David gives a, a great picture of a life trusting God as that child. Just like, like a child, like you have to train not to panic when it's time to eat. Yeah, like, like first thing in the morning, like we go ahead and have a bowl of cereal waiting for Abigail on the table. And we walk her straight there you know, but if it's not there, this morning it wasn't there, she lost her biscuits, like it just, it was, it was tough, um, <laughs> it takes time and training to, to learn that way of life, and it's the same with us, it's the same, it's time with Jesus, there's no substitute for it, you're not going to do it by living off someone else's spirituality, it's only going to come through, through your time with Jesus, learning from him, and see, while David reflects, he, David gives a, gives a great, uh, reflection. He gives a good posture of humility. He's a great example. But ultimately, the fulfillment of humility came in Jesus. David was, was great. David was a great dude, uh, and, except for that one big thing. Uh, but he was just a type. David was just a type of the one to come. Because we know of the better king, right? The perfect king. David chose humility by not taking Saul's life. But Jesus humbled himself by dying for his enemies. David was the faithful king of Israel, but Jesus is the faithful son of God. David, we read in in his story that he had blood on his hands as a man of war, and so he couldn't build the temple of God, which was the place where life is found. But Jesus shed his own blood to build his temple in us. David refused to fulfill his dreams and ambitions at the expense of someone else's life. But Jesus gave us the ability to dream eternally at the expense of his own. David eventually gave in to temptation and the kingdom was split because of it. But Jesus remained faithful even now at the right hand of the Father. And his kingdom can now be found on earth as it is in heaven. Where David was a good example... Jesus is not merely an example, but he's the actual fulfillment of all good things in life. See, we're David, and we need Jesus. Even our best efforts to be a non-anxious presence, to be righteous, to be holy, is still nothing without Jesus. We have to, we, we can't afford to live any other way than to learn the rhythms of unforced grace, so that as we are invited into the mission of God to take this good news to the world, we can invite others in in the same way. See, living a life of humility, it is being a non-anxious presence because living a life of humility ultimately can only flow from Jesus because if we're humble for humble's sake, we've now instead of gone into the life of holiness, we've gone into the life of pride control and that's not what we're interested in. That's not what we're called to do. So to we close today, I just, want to, I just want to give us some words that Paul wrote and then walk us through a little exercise that's going to stretch us a little bit. Paul tells us in Philippians to trust Jesus this way. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Like, if you just full stop right there, that's hard enough, right? But listen, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as we close, I want to I do something, like I said, that's going to maybe stretch us a little bit. Maybe not. Um, but when we hear things like this, we just, if you're like me, you kind of wonder, like, that sounds great. But, but I, I'm, like, I'm still a human. You know? Like, at the end of the day, I still have to turn the lights off and lay down in bed. And there's no telling what's going to flood my mind. Yeah? Like, there's no telling how hard my heart's going to beat or what's going to happen at 2.30 when I get up to change those sheets when my kid had another accident or when my boss comes in and yells at me or I get that email at 7 a.m. asking for the stuff that's due tomorrow. Like, those things are still going to happen. And that's the great paradox of life. In 2 Corinthians, I love Paul says, like, we have this, these, this treasure in jars of clay. Like, we have the Holy Spirit. We have eternity. We have the power and presence of God in our broken, fragile bodies. Yeah, one day, ultimately, we're gonna be redeemed and renewed, but right now, like, that's the paradox of life. Like, there's a lot to happen between now and when we meet Jesus. So how do we do it? This treasure's in the jar of cloud. I love um, Pete Skizzaro. He says that your body is a major profit in your life. A major profit in your life. So let me, so let me just ask you, we're gonna close with a time of prayer, but leading up into the time of prayer, I'm going I'm to ask us, we're going to be quiet for a little bit uh, and just be mindful of where we're feeling that anxiety so that later we don't project it on others and be an anxious presence. And then we're going to ask God, we're going to ask Jesus to replace those things that we're feeling in our heart or in our chest or in our back or our minds, to replace those with His grace. Grace. Not just to get rid of them, but to replace them with His grace. So let's do this. We're going to close our eyes just for a little bit. And take some time just to take some, some, some deep breaths. And as you even just hear the word pressure or anxiety or fear, be aware of where that comes up. Maybe it's in your upper back, your shoulders get tight, maybe your heart starts racing, those kind of light, fast beats. Maybe you feel it in your head, your cheeks are getting warm because that comes out in anger. Maybe your ears are getting hot because you're feeling embarrassed that you're even having to admit that you feel these things. Maybe your fists are clenched because you just don't want to feel like you're letting go of control because if you have your anxiety, you at least know that it's there. Maybe you just haven't been able to forgive someone for something they said to you or did to you. And you can feel your eyes getting hot. Take a, just take an inventory of your body, breathe, and then whenever you're ready, you can just ask Jesus to replace those with his grace, with his light and easy burden. You can say it out loud, you can whisper it, you can say it quietly. And if you think that whatever you're feeling or whatever has caused that is just too big to to let go of or to give to God, let me give you a quote of St. Teresa of Avila. She says, "You, you pay God a great compliment by asking great things of him. Jesus, we thank you that you came to earth and humbled yourself to die for us that Jesus not only not only are you a great example not only did you live a perfect life not only did you die on the cross for our sins but Jesus you are at the right hand of God you're hearing these prayers right now and you're interceding for us and Jesus our bodies they groan, waiting for that day where you come back, make all wrong things right. Give us our renewed body so that we can live in your presence forever. But God, until then, we're here. We're on earth. We feel that anxiety. We feel that hurt, that brokenness. And so I pray that, that as we come to you with prayers, as we come to you with petitions asking you to replace these things with your unforced grace, and you're inviting us into a life that's light, that's free That's close to you where we hear your voice and we know that you're there. Holy Spirit, I ask that you meet us here. You answer these prayers. And that a peace that surpasses all understanding comes into all of our lives, Father. So that as we go out to our homes today, to work, to school, to whatever you have for us, wherever you have us, God. That people understand That we're different because our non-anxious presence, our humility comes from you and you alone. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.